Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 123, Embodied Carnage, Embodied Hope. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Worldwide Headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm here with my good friend, Jesse Fury. We are in studio. We are out of the winter tundra we had temporarily for three days, and we have nice weather again here in southwest Virginia. Amen. Spring cometh, and spring, Jesse, is a wonderful, wonderful time for outdoor activities. Do you like any outdoor activities? Uh, I love outdoor outdoor activities. So many activities. Mine is cooking. I like cooking outdoors. That's my main one. Uh, I go for like some walks. Not a runner anymore. I ride a hard exercise bike, airdyne kind of bike. But I don't. Uh, I don't play golf. Do you play golf? You know, I I do play golf on occasion. But I'm. I hesitate to say I'm a golfer. Like okay. if you wanted to take me out, right for the golf game, for the golf game, yeah, I would be respectable. Ah, my, I wouldn't slow the play down. You would. You would. You would look good. And occasionally, your oh, swing, I look. I would look one great. piece takeaway. Yeah. My my father was a really really good golfer, but he would never let me play with him unless I took lessons first. And so because he didn't want me to embarrass him, <laughs> and so you know, as a teenage boy, you say to that, you give the salute and you don't play golf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my son loves watching golf on TV. So we had a debate, I, and I want to do our in and out music, Jesse. I don't. Know if, I don't know if you remember. Oh, I remember this music. We used to ask each other questions. This is not formally an in or out question today, but it is. It is a question, and I'm calling this segment the definitive answer because because we need a definitive answer. My son and I uh, broke out. He's now going on. He'll be 16 in August. Man, he's, he's a man. He, he is. He's strong too, and he's got opinions. So we broke out in what I would call a raucous debate in our <laughs> in our kitchen. <laughs> About golf, because he loves to watch golf on TV and stuff. And he's like, golf, dad. And so I've watched it with him a few times, like Ryder Cup. I watched with him on a on a soccer trip we were on together. And so we we broke out. He, he mentioned there was a pro golfer that was like 60. And he's like, yeah, dad, this guy just now broke in the PGA 60. I was like, I was like, Tommy, that's because golf is not a sport. <laughs> so is that that's what we were going in or out on uh, yes jesse because uh what took place after i made my statement um that i may or may not have recanted of we'll get to that um we we really went at it so i need backup or just other people's opinions on this question jesse is golf a sport what, a, what an absurd <laughs> statement only a wrestler can make the statement that golf is not. A, of course, golf is a sport. Now, I understand that anything that you could play while you're like smoking and drinking the six pack <laughs> right. is probably not at the same level. At least a maybe. little suspect for us. Sure, or 60 yeah, year old yeah. pros, right? <laughs> a little suspect, at least. Right? But, but um, we are talking about something that's. Um, competitive. It's competitive. You, it you can win or lose. A sports yeah. ball. Yeah, it involves a ball. It involves yeah. a ball. You keep score. Uh, you keep score. That's right. Uh, you train for. It involves skill. Yeah, a lot of skill. A lot very, of skill that also involves physical act, physical, physical activity, physical body, abilities. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, you, you're you're very tight in your argument because because Tommy and I got there to all those things, but it took us a while because I was making jokes and he was fired up and and so we agreed that golf is a sport. Okay, so I recanted okay. of that, recanted. but but okay. we had to make a rejoinder. Here's the definitive answer on this question: Golf is a sport, but not all golfers 
are athletes. Do you agree or, agree or disagree? Oh, totally. Agree. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's like bowling <laughs> or, ba- or baseball bowling or, Well, yeah, but baseball's. Come on, that, I'm just kidding. Shot. I'm just kidding. It's like bowling. Like, yeah, it's a sport. There's a ball. There's a cup. That's right. You, you can practice. win or lose. There's competitive. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you ever been in the bowling alley? Yes. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not all bowlers or athletes. <laughs> and uh, if you could be a pro at sixty. And compete, and compete against future Tiger Woods. Maybe not all golfers are athletes. Thanks for uh, enjoying that. <laughs> so, friends, if you want the defi- all you golfers out there, oh, yeah. that's the definitive answer. Yeah. Golf is a sport, yeah. but you're not all athletes. All right, Jesse, I think we have some fun today as we continue our time. This is my friend, jazz musician in New York City, New Jersey, metro area, Michael Bond. Talk books and tech and movies and things, but don't care enough to write anything. It's not a review. <laughs> it's not a review, Jesse. Did you write Did you write the lyrics there? Hey, just so all you undergrounders out there actually know, we did hire a professional jazz musician, and we did write a song. Yeah, you wrote a song, man. <laughs> he recorded it for we, us. We don't care enough to write, but I do care enough about the movie Pig. Oh, there we, you We've go. been promising this, haven't and, we? And this fits right in the actual center of Reviewish Universe, because we talk books and tech and, and movies, movies and things. Not only does it fit in in the center of the Reviewish Universe, it fits so perfectly in our series on Embodied. That's right. That's right. I don't know that. Actually. You don't know this, right? But the movie, yeah, um, is a um, oh, it's really like a masterpiece in slow storytelling uh-huh. about the importance of uh, our bodies and embodied responses to grief, suffering, friendship, uh-huh. and food. Now, um, before I really and, and Jesse I, walked into the shed quarters today with a shiny sequined looking pillow. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, and so he said it was a reveal. He's not telling me, so he's like petting it now. If you're watching the video version of the pie, oh, oh gosh. I brought my Nick Cage pillow for this moment. That, that is so unbelievable. Guys, if you've ever watched the video to this podcast, go to gospelunderground.org. And, I'm going to do the review issue yeah. holding Nick Cage. It's one of those pillows, guys, for those who are audio only, where you it looks black, it like sequined or something, and you rub it the other way. And yeah. all the little things flip over <laughs> and it leaves Nicolas Cage's face. Yes. Jesse, tell me about your favorite actor in his so, movie, Pig. Yeah. So, um, by the way, this was, it was my 19th anniversary. My wife, Jenny, this weekend, as w- part of my gift, she surprised me with this pillow. She gave you that for your anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> is that a sport, Jesse? <laughs> it wasn't only this, but this, but this is the only thing hey, I'm carrying around hey, with me. Sometimes the best gifts are those who know you best, right? And Amen. so, um, so I, I do want to say to our listeners out there, I was predisposed to like this film because I am a fan of Nick Cage. That's Nicholas right. Nicholas Cage, however you, however you want he's to say He's your it. favorite actor, I've learned. Well, or one of them. One of them. And um, he's a real delight, right? Yeah. So I watch movies to be entertained. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so keep that in mind that I think he's an entertaining actor. The Rock. Whether, whatever Air, it is. National you know, Treasure. Whether he's yeah. wearing John Travolta's face and face <laughs> off or he's got bees <laughs> all over his face yeah. and... Uh, <laughs> Not the bees in Wicker Man. Uh, yeah. He's always giving it his all. And yeah. He's he's anyway. Uh, he restrains some of that Nick Cage um, mojo mojo for Energy. the film Pig. So I don't know the name of the the writer director, but I know it's his first film. Mm-hmm. 
Michael Sarnowski. Okay. Uh, first film, and it's it. it, it uh, here's what I'll say about it: is the the trailers make it look like it's going to be John Wick, but with a pig. Yeah, like his buddy is the pig, and they're going to run around and do yeah, work and or something. This, you know, where's my pig? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not really a revenge film. Oh. Um, it's really a meditation on engaging with grief. Um, it's it's a restrained look at uh, reentering society from a place of um, deep hurt, uh-huh. and uh, and it really is a picture of friendship, fatherhood, um, food, and hospitality. As a matter of fact, I'll say this: I now, love all now, those things. Yeah, now, listen, yeah. You, you you need to know going into this. There's a lot of foul language. Okay. Um, this is rated R movie. Definitely rated R. So my son, he, he my um, son is our film guy. He's like a film critic. Yeah. He knows who you wrote should the watch score for everybody. Yeah, you should I'll watch, watch it first. It first. So a lot, yeah. of, lot of, lot of bad language. A little bit of violence. So I'll say this: there's a underground fight club involved. No, nope, no, no pigs. Oh, no not pigs. pig fighting. <laughs> <laughs> the pig really isn't central. Oh, okay. Um, okay. So it is his search for his missing truffle hunting pig that oh, was stolen. Very valuable. Uh, you know that from, thing, yeah. yeah, that's right. You know that from the trailer. So I'm not yeah. giving anything away there. Um, but I'll, you know, uh, I, I just, I recommend it to our viewers. If you can handle the language, there's yeah. a little bit of violence, but not a lot. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it's slow moving. Slow so moving storytelling restrained. is a lost art. Yep. Yep. I've been I've been Jesse um, shamed. I think I told you this shamed into actually reading the Lord of the Rings novels because I've I'm just a movie only guy, and so my kids call me a poser. Dad, you gave us these books. What do you do? I'm like, yeah, I'm a poser. I'm a loser. So I've read more fiction in the last few months than in my whole life. I'm not kidding. I like uh, other than having to read fiction where they made you like an English yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've read almost all the Dune, the original Dune books, uh, which get weird. You think the first one's weird. It gets really weird. So I read all those, uh, the first four or five of the originals. Okay. And then uh, Kyleen kept saying, Dad, still haven't read Fellowship of the Ring. So I've read Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, okay. And I was freaked out because at the end of the book, uh, Boromir didn't die. I'm like, what's going on? I know in this scene he died. <laughs> it's in the movie. So I was like correcting the book. Well, it's in the beginning of Two Towers, yeah, apparently, yeah, that, yeah. that whole thing. And so now I'm at the beginning of Two Towers. So the slow-forming, yeah. deep character development, That's storytelling right. art is certainly in Tolkien. And I'm glad to hear that it's in... Uh, and pig, and pig. It's in pig, and listen, it's not a particularly Christian movie or worldview yeah, necessarily, sure. but I think what you'll pick up. I, the last thing I'd say is, um, when you think about Romans twelve and uh, um, uh, treating your enemy with kindness, there's yeah. this really profound scene where that happens. There's there's a couple scenes that are just standout scenes. One, yeah. so there's one. I don't want to give too much away, but. Uh, that's related to that. And then one where, where Nick Cage and his friend Amir are in a restaurant and the chef is used to be one of Nick Cage's clients or, and, yeah. uh, and man, the way he really, um, Oh, uh, reveals what's important to this guy is like, I mean, it's phenomenal. Wow. It's phenomenal. Anyway, I recommend it again. If you can, if you can handle the language, we'll and check a it. little bit we'll, of violence. We'll check it. Uh, and you're a big fan. Like I am of your pillow. <laughs> yeah. You guys got to check out the video. Jesse and his Nick cage face pillow. Well, Jesse, we, right we are definitely, um, finishing today. 
uh, our series on human embodiment. Obviously, there's many things we could have shared in this uh, journey. Uh, there's some things we have shared, but we're going to wrap it up today with the two topics of carnage and hope. And I think, um, or uh, uh, John Lennox, a math professor from Oxford, calls it the beauty and the barbed wire, right? That both... Mm both travel, uh, carnage and hope through the human experience. And certainly we're seeing in our cultural moment, uh, embodied, uh, experience be both full of carnage and certainly, uh, full of hope from God. So where we've been in this series, we talked about what it meant to be an embodied human beings, the psychosomatic unity of a soul in body, so to speak, that God's design was to actually bless us by giving us bodies. And I think show us our limitations, right? As finite creatures and that perhaps the most strong endorsement of the beautiful embodiment of humanity was the son of God becoming mm. flesh. And obviously around Christmas time, uh, we talked about the embodied God, right? And why the body uh, that Jesus took up wasn't inconsequential, but it was kind of a uh, an endorsement of his creation and humanity. And that we as people need to think about how we use our bodies, right? That we need to feed, care, value the body. We need to say, hey, God has given us bodies to honor him with all that we are. And then lastly, last time we, early in March, Jess, we probably looked at our most cultural episode yeah. where we looked at the revolution of the body, a revolution du corps uh, in the continental French language, the, the, the disconnect uh, from design theologically relation to God and biologically even how we have denied our embodiment to the point that we say, Hey, we'll do whatever we want with whatever we want, whoever we want with the body. And so, and I think some of the carnage we'll look at briefly today has been a result of this untethering of the body from God and loving our neighbors. And then certainly even the way God's designed our bodies biologically to function and flourish and work in the world. But mm-hmm. big idea that we've been sharing that our bodies, right? We're in sold bodies, instruments to be played in the honor of God or honor the King, not weaponized uh, to dishonor God or debase, hurt, harm other human beings. And so here's Jesse where just I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it gets discouraging. Um, well, and you know, carnage, the carnage of where we are now is somewhat self-evident, right? I mean, you, you, you don't yeah. have to, um, it's not going to be hard to convince me that we're living in a time of barbed wire. Yeah. Bodily, bodily and barbed, barbed wire, yeah. bodily yep. carnage. Because when you separate truth from reality and try to live in a way that's separated from God and his truth, there are consequences for that. And so I'm not going to just try to bring a litany of problems that we see. I'm just going to, I don't know, the best I can, um, skip through these a little bit to say, hey, look, when we don't see our bodies as to be cared for, fed, honor God, honor other people, the carnage actually necessarily follows. And so um, certainly uh, human beings can abuse their own bodies. We see this, Jesse, with various substances. I, I mean, I've been talking to my kids, hey, I don't care what you do. My kids aren't like drug kids, right? They're not doing drugs. As far as I know, they've never done a drug. Uh, they seem to be very, very clear on the things they want to put in their bodies or not. But I was telling them the other night, I was like, look, I don't care. I know you don't touch stuff. Don't touch stuff because some of this stuff out there is killing. 
selling kids, right? Fentanyl, right? People putting these things together. Uh, many times opioids with alcohol uh, killing people. And certainly I grew up in a family that had alcohol history for more than one generation. Substances we put to abuse ourselves, right? Um, emergency rooms, uh, alcohol-related deaths, right? It's, it's amazing. Probably going to be 68,000 men, 27,000 women die annually just from alcohol-related causes alone. This is a legal substance, right? Alcohol, third leading cause of preventable death in the United States, right? First, tobacco. Second is poor diet, physical inactivity, right? Here's the results from this kind of abuse of our own, uh, our own bodies, Certainly when we look at um, how we treat our bodies with food and the things we put in it, certainly there's disease, coronary heart disease, cancer, sexual dysfunction, sleep dysfunction, muscular and skeletal issues, death even, that results from things like obesity in our culture and, and not caring for and feeding our body in a way that would be helpful and healthy. Certainly sexual brokenness, Jesse, and harassment and abuse. I mean, obviously, you can't compare one era to another because we weren't really there. But historically, there's been ebbs and flows uh, from how we uh, use our bodies, misuse our bodies, abuse other bodies sexually, right? And we certainly have our own era where every 68 seconds an American is sexually assaulted. That's shocking, man, to read. Uh, every nine minutes that victim is a child. Um, you know, only 25 out of every 1,000 perpetrators of sexual assault will end up in prison. Um, one, this is, this is, you know, we have daughters, right? We have wives, Um your pastor, we've been involved with lots of different people, yeah. and, and the statistic that one out of every six American women woman has been a victim of an attempted or a completed rape in her lifetime, um, weaponizing bodies to hurt other bodies in ways that were not designed uh, by God to use other people as the objects or objectification of lust rather than uh, bodies to be honored and people to be cared mm. for is part of the conage, me too, church too, all the twos, Hollywood, for everywhere in our culture, it seems like use and abuse, uh, a lot of times from and by men, is a part of the carnage uh, of our day. You know, thinking about that, I recently was listening to, um, re-listening to a book um, that I read a while back called... uh, Christ plays in 10,000 places by Eugene Peterson. Yeah. It's not really about any of this, yeah. but it, he, he, well, it is about some of this. He's talking about, uh, embodied souls and, um, how basically movements throughout time have led to diff- different views of, um, you know, embodied versus disembodied. And of course that ebbs and flows too, right? right? You've got kind of platonic, neoplatonic Greek, ancient Greek views right. of the body and, that, and, and came together. And now they're, they're separated again with Descartes and the, yeah. I think therefore I am. Yeah. Uh, and then soul, disembodied mind yeah. or disembodied wills kind of idea, yeah. which in some ways can, can lead to this kind of carnage because bodies become something you traffic. Uh, it becomes, or inconsequential, my body becomes inconsequential. I'll eat whatever I want because this thing is just going away anyway. Um, and then the other contrast is souls versus self and that we live in a time of self. Yeah. And I, I just, I'm wondering, like, clearly it's not as though, um, um, uh, there was a golden age where where none of this stuff happened. Right, right, absolutely. But it does seem like the more we emphasize the self and the more, it, it doesn't seem as though 
it's getting better. That's right. I, I think we've created a culture that we all live in, right? We all have the, these tendencies to see ourselves as consuming things, uh, pleasures and experiences for our own desires. And it, it commodifies life, including human beings. I mean, uh, sadly, right, human beings have commodified each other in kind of all kinds of heinous ways throughout history, um, from trafficking in human beings as property and various forms of slavery into modern trafficking of people and, and sex trafficking slavery uh, to either just the, 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 the disconnected souls where other people are treated as just kind of useful or not useful. Yeah. Um, even from something as simple as friendship and ghosting, right, that exists yeah. uh, many times among young people. What happened? I don't know. They don't, they don't talk to me anymore. Uh, I guess I'm not useful to them. I guess they don't, I don't do anything for yeah. them anymore. And it's kind of a, a, a sad state of the carnage of our day. And like you said, Jesse, certainly every era that has both beauty and barbar sin and yeah. beautifulness, right, uh, has its own issues. Um, we also live in a day where... Specifically, young people are rejecting their own bodies, right? Um, body image issues, right? We can talk about obesity and problems on one end, but on the other end, it's like, hey, everyone should be look a certain way or be a certain thing that you put, post on Instagram. And the, the form and image problems, right, that many times young girls uh, yeah. face that we know that social media has exacerbated the problem. Eaters, eating disorders, self-shame, self-loathing, uh, bodily rejection, young people wanting to augment themselves either for beautiful purpose or gender dysmorphic uh, purposes or just a loathing of our, our body that, that expresses in cutting and things that deform the body and destroy rather than to heal or repair the body. This is something, obviously, that we're always aware of. Like, yeah. hey, you, I, you know, I've tried to tell my girls, you're, you look great, you're beautiful, you know, that uh, God made you unique and special. Like all of us don't look the same in this idea. I mean, body image, man, to be honest, I struggle with it. Like I, I grew up wrestling and like, I still weigh myself. You still weigh yourself every oh day. Oh my gosh. More than every day. It's stupid. And it doesn't change that much, but it's like, yeah, I've got problems, right? Where it's like, you know, when you were once 4% body fat and shredded and thinking this, and then you get old and you're like, Oh man, I, I, I struggle with a lot of yeah. terrible, terrible self, talk right where i'm a fat piece of nothing and all this stuff it's it's uh insidious because this doesn't come from god it comes from comparison yeah. it comes from evil places and it's hurtful to men and women to try to have to live up to images that are curated many times uh software generated and and this phantasms that are presented in the world of other embodied people uh make us feel like we fall short yeah and i think that's part of a an inner carnage that then I think acts in other ways, uh, externally, some of the things that we've already discussed. And so the reality is, um, nobody, I certainly don't like focusing just on, on brokenness or just the pain or just the difficulty. But I think if we're not honest of where that comes from, right, it's, it's the sinful hearts of people for sure, but it also comes from cultural forces when we untether what the body is for and what other people are for. And we then begin to use and abuse substances, things, our bodies and, and others. And so, Jesse, how do we, how do we find hope uh, well, we, for yeah. the little ones in our lives or older ones in our lives? I mean, not even like my grand, my, uh, 
My father-in-law has been very clear that he's trying to specifically give attention to the elderly in his life because they can become forgotten and cast aside people because their bodies have aged and they don't seem or feel uh, people think they're useful anymore. I love the way that Terry has done that because he's like, hey, these are valuable human beings that many times in their old age feel like everyone's forgotten. Mm. Yeah, and I love... I love Reed that you've you've titled this uh, last part embodied hope um, because I do think in in the last episode we talked about the disconnect between um, design theologically and design biologically and I think we we can also have a disconnect from our teleological design in other words purpose yeah what's the purpose what yeah. are we here for and I think hope reconnects what's disconnected. Amen. Um, You know, the hope of what is my body for? And, and not only that, the hope of um, what will my body be like, not just as I age, but in God's uh, grace uh, when I receive it back again. Yeah. Because right, Jesse, one of the key tenets of Christian faith is resurrection uh, and restoration and uh, the disease and the dying and the hurt and the sin will be gone and we will be raised imperishable is the language of the Bible. Right. And so here's where like sometimes, you know, I grew up, you know, my dad, he's an atheist and agnostic kind of guy. Um, And, and I, and I, I can think really kind of, I think I think I like witnessing to real kind of skeptical yeah. secular people because I can really think that way. I, it's not hard. I grew up a little bit with that mindset and science and rationality and reason. But the more and more I, I always I love to do this at least when you see something that comes from theism or belief that God is real, uh, something like embodiment. Here, here's the thing: um, when you look at Christian theology, you find that the theological relationship of embodiment, the biological relationship and the purpose or design of the body are, are united. They're not fractured anymore because of the doctrine of creation, right? When you have God that made it, why do you make it for a purpose? God that made it biological function and purpose of our bodies. And then certainly relationship to God and each other, uh, something beautiful is seen. I, I'm rereading the book, GK Chesterton's orthodoxy. Mm. Trevin wax has an edited volume out now that has chapter intros and outros and group questions. And I was worried and I took some seminary class with Trevin. I know him a little bit. I was like, I hope he doesn't write too much, uh, and kind of ruin the book, you know, but he's done such a wonderful job. Um, in this, I mean, I, I commend Trevin, you did a great job. Uh, the, the intros and outros are wonderful because it helps you understand what's going on. But one of the things Chesterton says that he stumbled into, you know, trying to form his own philosophy through the late uh, 1800s and doubts and skeptics and all this mm-hmm. stuff. He said he stumbled into something that was true and beautiful and it was Christianity. Yeah. And I think sometimes I love moments like that when you think about human embodiment theological, biological, and teleological, purposeful, they're united. And not just an idea, but in a person, right? Jesus, the God-man theological, became incarnate, enfleshed, right, embodied, and then gives us purpose for our design of our bodies now and in the future. And so how can we not have hope if we know that God has a purpose for that? That means, though, we have to move from maybe some other purposes that I know we live. I know I live 
struggle with my embodiment back to a repentance faith, back to uh, the way that God has it. This is from Nancy Piercy's book, Love Thy Body. This is on page 156. She says, Scripture teaches that the creational differentiation of males and females is a good thing. Our complementary nature speaks of our yearning for union, which in turn reflects the divine nature, a God who is a union, triunion, differentiated persons in close relationship with one another. The question is, do we accept that created structure or do we reject it? Do we affirm the goodness of creation or do we deny it? Do we see the body as a reservoir of meaning and a source of moral truths? Is there a teleology of the body, a design that we are called to respect? Or do we see the body just as a piece of matter with no moral message? I think that is the crux of whether or not we head towards hope, Jesse, is that if we receive these things from God uh, as a source of moral truth, a source of meaning, a source of messaging from God, the creation itself, we have a chance to see purpose with it. And so obviously Christians would understand that the commands of God to a person, sometimes this is, needs to be said, when it says, love God, love your neighbor, right? This is what Jesus said the most important commandments are. It's not intellectually, conceptually, just in your mind or your disembodied will. Loving God and loving your neighbor is an embodied work and living with one another in life and community. Mm. Uh, I, I really haven't, I haven't finished this whole book, so I don't want to be too enthusiastic well yeah i'm because i'm super enthusiastic yeah, about it by yeah. this book by o carter sneed i've read large chunks of it I, i've been skipping chapters on it and, and i find it to be uh very excellent it's a very very intellectual book it's a nerdy book it's it's trying to build public bioethics policy right in laws and stuff so it's a little bit dense but it's called what it means to be human the case for the body and public bioethics and i did quote from it in our first episode in this series yeah but what I love about it, and, and I think this is some of the quote I shared before, but I want to share it again because he is trying to look at this embodied love for people, right, as part of purpose. He says, building on a rich anthropological human account, uh, this book will ar- argue, following Alistair McIntyre, uh, who wrote on virtue, that for both basic survival and human flourishing, embodied, and he says vulnerable, Right? And I think this is a very important. Mm. Vulnerable human beings depend on networks of uncalculated giving and graceful receiving, this reciprocation in our relationship, constituted by other people who are willing to make the good of others their own, regardless of what this might offer them by way of recompense. By first depending on these networks, children, right? And then participating them, individuals become the sort of people who can care for others in the same way. We used to call that growing up, right, Jesse? This transformation of persons from, guys, listen to this. This transformation of persons from needy consumers of unconditional care and support to mature, uncalculating caregivers of others, of course, guarantees the sustainability of these essential networks. But more importantly, it also helps to develop people to develop and what embodying beings should become, namely the kind of people who make the good of others their own. So somebody else's good is my own good. Put most simply and directly, by virtue of their embodiment, human beings are made for love and friendship. Mm. 
That's really good. You got me wanting to read this book now. (laughs) You know, (laughs) thinking about, um, I have read Alistair McIntyre and, um, you know, the basic premise of that, that his main book, um, uh, after virtue, after virtue is that we've lost the ability to have a, a coherent conversation about morality because we don't have the language anymore because we we've disconnected from the story. Yes. Uh, and this, and really, what 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 we've resor- resorted to is emotivism. What he what he essentially says, um, I am what I feel that I am, and you have to affirm it. And that's, that's right. kind of what it all comes down to. That's right. Um, but it's interesting because thinking this way, as far as human beings are made for love and friendship, and um, be- becoming really living into with hope, what it looks like to be an embodied person, that's right. an embodied soul, uh, means we do this, we demonstrate this. And uh, putting those things together is interesting. I hadn't thought about it yeah. till now that like what we're doing for our actual neighbors right. is we're giving them a new story or, right. or we're, help, we're, we're bringing the language together so that when we, when we communicate about the incarnate Jesus, God yeah. in the flesh, we've actually brought, um, uh, we've demonstrated a story that, that makes sense of it, makes it coherent. That's right. Uh, and That's I, right. yeah, love and friendship. We, we, we yeah. live right in an area of, decarnated networks, social networks online are not uh, this idea of vulnerability in the body. He's talking about that. We need food. Yeah. We need clothing. We need someone to take care of us. Now, even this is broken many times where children are neglected, not taken care of. But look, when we build the kind of network and I've, you know, I don't want to brag too much on my children, Jesse, but I, I watch my kids who are 20, 18, almost 16, care for each other well they they grew up in that right because of the unselfishness of my wife right the giving and receiving of our our family as a small little community so that when they grow up they can do that for other people and now i think we've taken these kind of things for granted for so long until these networks break down the family breaks down the school breaks now we're seeing that broadly across america every we can't have schools together because we're going crazy on each other and then we retreat away from embodied vulnerability and need we need food clothing sick people get old right we need each other to these decarnational networks where we just yell at each other Mm. And what Sneed is getting at is it's like, no, this embodied vulnerability where a little baby knows that it gets food and care and clothing or not, right, from a family. And that as you grow up and you mature, you realize that it's now grown up, it's grown folk stuff, adulting, to love and care and serve others. If we don't do that, we turn into a gaggle of selfishness, right, that's just simply gagging and destroying other people. And certainly... Uh, the embodied carnage that follows. And so if you look at this love God and neighbor, that's the purpose for which you're made. Love, friendship, friendship with God, friendship with other people. And then I think this idea of creation helps us to recover our view that an embodied human being, no matter what he or she looks like, right? No matter what they look like, is beautiful, designed, purposeful, and has potential Mm. for good or evil as we live in these communities. And I think, you know, sometimes I'm encouraging my friend groups that I interact with regularly, both in town and and around the world, Jesse, that, Hey, we can get all fired up about what some other president of a country is doing our country or other countries or how they're, you know, whatever's happening on the news. But if we're not right, giving and caring and serving in families, local schools, neighborhoods, churches, right. Sports leagues that are Immediate local government, right? Um, we're not we're not using our potential 
uh, for the good that we ought, right? We may be disconnecting ourselves and others in ways that lead downstream to these things we don't want, right? We don't want weaponized bodies and rhetoric to dishonor God, debase others. We want to build where we can these kinds of love and friendship networks, families, schools, churches, neighborhoods, sports leagues, whatever they might be, that you can do incarnate with each other and mm. depend upon each other. And I think that's why my father-in-law's care for the elderly is so, yeah. so beautiful to me. And then finally, uh, hope, um, in the design, design for our bodies and things like marriage, our sexual powers for, for good, uh, for procreation, even for honoring God with gratitude, right. For his goodness. And then using our bodies for this, right. The good of others and the honor of God. So our hope, where does it lie? I think I want to close today, Jesse, uh, with a quotation from Nancy Piercy at the end of her book, Love Thy Body. And she's talking about homosexuality, transgenderism, the, the, the mutilation of the body and surgeries and all these kind of things and what worldview spawns that. And she's kind of an intellectual book. But she has this kind of real, uh, I was really surprised to actually read it. She has this real personal story at the end when she's getting to the point to say, hey, how can we have hope in this? And I think... Um, I think this is a moment where I really, I bonded with the author. I was like, wow, this is really important. And and certainly I hope a calling to each of us to kind of go and do likewise and live in this way. She says this, we should work to draw people in by the beauty of the biblical vision of life. As one Christian psychologist puts it, the goal is more rescue mission than culture war love that. It is rarely effective to criticize someone else's view from within your own perspective. That just means they disagree with you. It is much more persuasive when you step inside the other person's perspective to critique it from within, showing how it fails on its own terms. To do that, Christians have to become familiar with secular worldviews and learn to uncover their dehumanizing and destructive implications. Only then will the other person be open to considering Christianity as a credible alternative. That's mostly what Piercy's book is like. And then she shifts in tone. I think you'll hear it um, to the more personal. She says this, what are the implications for our own families and our global engagement? It was a family that helped me become a Christian. As a teenager, I had walked away from my Lutheran upbringing and had no intention of going back. Later, while attending school in Germany, I took a train to Labrie, an evangelistic ministry founded by Francis and Edith Schaefer in the stunningly beautiful Swiss Alps. The French name for it is the shelter, Labrie. I did not intend to stay. I was only meeting up briefly with family members who were traveling through. By what? But while at Labrie, I was struck by two things. And this is why she became a Christian. First, I heard arguments for the truth of Christianity that were more compelling than any I had ever heard before. And second, I witnessed a Christian community that was more loving than any I had ever seen before. And I think, Jesse, these two mm. things, right... The truth of the gospel, mm. the truth of uh, creation, and the truth of our nature as given to us by God, along with, right, this idea that we were made for love and friendship and to see that lived out in Christian community, saw Nancy Piercy converted as an intellect, young intellectual in the Swiss Alps at this little place 
called the shelter and how many little shelters can we shape? Mm. Sometimes we get so uh, caught up in these big visions, right? Uh, We're Americans. We love big visions. We love Apple's $3 trillion uh, market valuation. At least I do. I own a little bit of that stock. But we need to be obsessed with these little shelters, right? Uh, How can our friendships be shelters to us and others? How can our families serve in that fashion? How can our churches become those kinds of places rather than, right, just another toxic extension of the culture that we see so much carnage with in. Well, the hope is in the humility of Christ, the risen Savior who comes to us as broken sinners and calls us to both repentance, to turn away, right, from the carnage, path of carnage, the valley of the shadow of death, and to have faith or to trust in him and to have hope for our future, which is guaranteed by a promise rather than the provisional nature of all things we see here under the sun. Jesse? Man, that oh, that we, that our friendships and our families and our churches would look like that. Yeah. And let me encourage everyone out there, don't go thinking you're going to find a perfect little uh, utopian heaven under the sun until the Christ is fully ruling and reigning and our own mess that we bring to it. Until then, humility, repentance, ownership of our brokenness, and hope that the living Christ is still yet better still. Yeah, if you don't mind, let me let me just tell a quick quick anecdote about hope. I love to do. I mean, you've, if you've Amen. heard me preach at Valley Bible Church, you've heard this illustration before. But um, if I could helped, have been traveling. It helps. <laughs> that's right. You might have been traveling. Uh, it helps me to think about how hope works now, and even thinking about embodied relationships and and displaying that. That uh, I tell the story about. Um, when I got lost with my friend Bobby, we were out, you know, we, we would go camping in Luray, Virginia, up on the mountain. Luray Caverns, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. We weren't by. in the caverns, but yeah. we were not far from there, right? And, uh, and uh, we, we got lost, and we had a little pop-up tent with, you know, uh, or his dad stayed in a pop-up camper on the truck. And we had uh, 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 lanterns and stuff around there, but we were out in the, I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It starts getting dark. And we get scared. You start thinking, oh, this is And not we got to head back, but we don't know the way back because it got dark. We don't have flashlights because we're idiots and yeah. we're kids. And yeah. we're just, so we're stumbling around the woods with BB guns, no flashlights. And every second it gets darker, it's like the danger increases, the fear increases. Yeah. And the moment, the moment we could see the lanterns around the campsite, we already experienced a little bit of the sense of being safe. Yeah. But we weren't yeah. safe yet, right? There's still yeah. a million ways we could run into, you know, trip on a log. And as a matter of fact, we probably did. We probably yeah. still sprained an ankle. Yeah. But uh, but we had hope because it's like, there it is. Okay, you can see I'm it. going there. And I, yeah. I, I wonder, even thinking about Nancy Piercy and Labrie and the shelter and yeah. embodied friendships, family and churches, that, that we might be that little glimmer of the lantern of the lantern, the little bit of light there in the woods. That's not it. You're not there yet. That's not the you, thing you can't in and of look itself. Look for the thing there. Yeah. All, all it is is you, you, it gives you a sense of, oh, yeah. Oh, we're going to make it. Yeah. It could be better. It will be better. Amen. Jesus said it this way I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And he said that by saying, Hey, show us the way. Mm. And the way is by seeing a person. And that is the hope that does not disappoint. There are disappointing hopes in this life, right? Your families, your churches, your schools, your local politics, all that's going to disappoint us. 
But because of the hope of Christ, that reality can infuse our now in a different way in love and friendship that provokes more hope to say, why not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to you be the glory. Then become worshipers and worshipers completes the joy, as C.S. Lewis once said. Jesse, thanks for joining me with your Nicolas Cage pillow on the Gospel Underground podcast, produced in partnership with the Bonhoeffer House and Nicolas Cage pillows. Review us. Guys, seriously, if you like what we're doing here, our listenership is growing. We're encouraged. If you're encouraged, drop us a review on iTunes. Not a review. It's five stars. Those are acceptable. If you think golf is not a sport, I might be swayed. If you think golfers are athletes, you got no hope. But send your feedback, comments, questions you might want us to take up here on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. We hope to see you out there. Peace. Peace.